volume two chapters twelve and thirteen of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain twelve thou hast all seasons for thine own o death what was it that mrs trevenard would have told when death sealed her lips for ever this was the question which maurice clissold asked himself many a time in those dismal days at borsalend when the house was darkened while he and martin sat together in friendly silence full of sympathy and for the most part alone mr trevenard preferring the solitude of the best parlour in this day of affliction what was that circumstance or detail which she would have told him and what clue to the mystery was he to discover from those two words family bible the only words that he had been able clearly to gather from the dying woman's disjointed speech he suffered martin to give full sway to his grief staunch in friendship prompt with sympathy but never attempting to strangle sorrow with set speeches of consolation and then one evening when michael trevenard had gone to bed worn out with grief and when martin was more composed and resigned than he had been since his mother's death maurice approached the subject which absorbed all his thoughts just now he had told martin that mrs trevenard had given him her confidence but he had also told him that the circumstances she had confided to him must remain a profound secret she has entrusted me with a hidden page of your family history martin he said if ever i can set right the wrong that has been done not by your mother she may have been mistaken in her course of action but she has deliberately wronged no one you shall know all but if i fail the secret must remain a secret to the end of my life how good you are cried martin can i ever be grateful enough for your interest in our troubles my dear martin there is less cause for gratitude than you imagine i have a reason of my own for being eager in this matter a foolish reason perhaps and most certainly a selfish one so let there be no talk of gratitude on your part this evening finding martin in a more comfortable frame of mind maurice deemed it safe to question him you heard what your poor mother said to me on her deathbed he began every word she was wandering i think poor dear soul i hardly think that martin there was so much expression in her face as she looked at me and she seemed so eager to tell me something i feel sure that there was some additional circumstance some previously forgotten detail of the story she had told me which she wanted to communicate in that last hour something relating to a family bible will you let me see your family bible martin certainly it is kept where all the world can see it all the world of borsalend at least it is on the side table in the best parlour my poor father was reading it this afternoon i'll go and get it martin took one of the candles and went into the next room whence he speedily returned carrying a substantial folio bound in brown leather this was the family bible a goodly volume profusely garnished with old-fashioned woodcuts and printed in a large fat-faced type on thick ribbed paper mellowed to a yellowish hue by the passage of years on the fly-leaf were recorded the births marriages and deaths of the trevenards for the last hundred and fifty years but beyond this plain straightforward catalogue the page held nothing there was the first inscription in ink of a faded brownish hue recording the marriage of stephen trevenard of trevergy with justina penrose of st austell july fourteenth seventeen seventy three a marriage from which the borsalend branch of the trevenards had arisen and the last entry in michael trevenard's sprawling penmanship recording the death of bridget the beloved wife etc etc maurice read every line of that family catalogue muriel's birth 
martin's but there was nothing here to suggest the faintest clue to mrs trevenard's dying words then carefully and leaf by leaf he went through the volume looking for any stray document which might lurk between the pages here he found a withered flower with its faint ghost-like odour of departed sweetness there a scrap of sacred poetry copied in a girlish hand such a pretty graceful penmanship which he surmised to be muriel's yes here was one half-sheet of note-paper with an extract from milton's hymn signed muriel trevenard christmas eighteen fifty one may i keep this scrap of paper martin he asked it struck him that it might at some future time be well for him to possess a specimen of muriel trevenard's writing ready to be compared with any other document by all means answered martin poor girl she used to be so fond of poetry many a quaint old scottish ballad has she repeated to me learned out of some old books my father had picked up for her at a stall in seacombe market beyond those loose leaves of manuscript poetry and those stray flowerets maurice's most careful search could discover nothing between the pages of the family bible he began to think that martin was right and that those last words of mrs trevenard were but the meaningless babble of a mind astray with no more significance than falstaff's dying talk of fair green fields familiar to his boyhood or ever he had learned to find pleasure in midnight carouses or the company of mistress tearsheet by the by said martin suddenly while his friend sat with his arms folded on the sacred volume deep in thought there's a bible somewhere that belonged to my great-grandmother a bible i can just remember when i was a little chap before muriel's wits went astray a bible with queer old pictures in it which i was very fond of looking at not a big folio like this but a thick dumpy volume bound in black leather with a brass clasp my mother generally used it when she read the scriptures of a sunday evening and it was called mother's bible was there anything written in it asked maurice yes there was writing upon the first page i believe how long is it since you saw that bible martin how long echoed martin meditatively oh ever so many years why i don't remember having seen that book since i was quite a little lad did you ever see it after your sister's mind went wrong that's asking too much i can't remember so closely as that and yet on reflection i don't think i ever did see it after muriel's long illness i was sent to helston grammar school just at that time and i certainly don't remember ever having seen that bible after i went to school however i dare say it's somewhere about the house nothing is ever lost at borsal that bible is among my poor mother's stores most likely she was always a great hand for keeping old things i should like very much to see it if you could find it for me by and by martin by and by meant when that solemn presence of the dead which set its seal upon all things at borsal had been removed from the old farmhouse i'll look for it among mother's books next week said martin there are a good many books upon the old walnut wood-chest of drawers in her bedroom maurice stayed at borsal all through that dismal week though he received a very kind letter from mrs penwin begging him to take up his abode at the manor-house for the rest of his stay in cornwall he felt that it would be a hard thing to leave martin in the house of gloom and he knew that his presence there was some kind of comfort even to michael trevenard who had given way to complete despondency since his wife's death the look of the place was so strange to him without bridget he complained for nine-and-thirty years she had been the chief person in that house the prop and stay of all things the axis upon which the wheel of life turned 
the farmer knew that he owed her the maintenance and increase of his fortune it was bridget's help bridget's indefatigable spirit guiding and sustaining him which had made him rich enough to buy borsal had the squire been disposed to sell it she had taught him to hoard his money she had held him back from all share in the boisterous pleasures of his class but she had kept his table liberally provided assiduously for all his creature comforts and in a drowsy monotonous way had made life very easy to him he looked round him now and seeing her vacant chair wondered what he was to do with the remnant of his days the silent horror of the house stupefied him he went in and out of the rooms in a purposeless manner he looked into the kitchen where the two girls sat stitching away at their black gowns and looking forward to the funeral as a ceremonial in which it was rather a grand thing to be concerned he went into old mrs trevenard's bedroom to which apartment the old lady was still confined by that chronic rheumatic gout which at times crippled her here he sat himself down by the fireside drearily with his elbows on his knees looking at the fire silent for most of the time and shaking his head despondently when his mother essayed some feeble attempt at consolation some scriptural phrase which had been aired at all the deaths in the family for the last sixty years i never thought that she would have gone before me crooned the old lady but the lord's ways are wonderful and is past past finding out it's a sad thing to think that muriel can't follow to-morrow it will be the first time in our family that a daughter has been absent at her mother's funeral ah oh, poor muriel said the father hopelessly that trouble seems harder to bear now it would have comforted me in my loss if i had had a daughter to take my dead wife's place some one to look after the servants and pour my tea out of a morning someone to sit opposite me at table and help me off with my coat when i came in of a wet evening there's martin said old mrs trevenard he ought to be a comfort to you martin's a good fellow but he can't be what a daughter might have been a daughter would put her arms round my neck and cling to me and shed her tears upon my breast and in trying to comfort her i should almost forget my own sorrow a daughter could fill her mother's empty place in the house which martin can never do he'll be wanting to run away from home fast enough you'll see now his mother's gone she had a great deal more influence over him than i ever had who hadn't she influence over i wonder why the very cowboys thought more of her than of me ah she was a wonderful woman yes michael answered his mother with a sigh she was a good and faithful servant and in such the lord is well pleased she never missed morning and afternoon service let the weather be what it might on sundays she read her bible diligently and she did her duty to the best of her knowledge if ever she was mistaken she was never mistaken interrupted the widower testily bridget was always right when martin bought those carry cows and i scolded him for buying such small mean-looking cattle bridget stood by him and said she'd warrant they were good milch cows and so they were i never knew bridget out of her reckoning the grandmother sighed she had been thinking of something wide apart from the sordid cares of farm or homestead 
maurice attended the funeral which took place on a chilly september afternoon when autumn's biting blasts swept across the broad moorland and over the quiet valleys and stripped the yellowing leaves from the orchard trees the leaves were falling earlier than usual this year after the long droughts and the heat of the summer there were three mourning coaches in the first of which michael trevenard and his son sat in solemn state the second was occupied by maurice the doctor and a neighbouring farmer the third by three other farmers long-standing acquaintances of the borsaland family these people and their households had constituted mrs trevenard's world it was for the maintenance of her respectability in their eyes she had toiled and striven to be deemed wealthy and honourable and upright above all other women of her class had been her desire and she had been gratified they followed her to the little churchyard on the brown hillside discoursing of her virtues as they went and declaring her the paragon of wives they laid her in the family grave of the trevenards and left her there just as the sun declined and an air of evening solitude crept over the scene and then they went back to borsalend where the blinds were all drawn up and the house had put on a factitious aspect of cheerfulness the table was plenteously spread with sirloin and chine fowls and ham decanters of port and sherry shining tea-tray and silver teapot all the best things in the house brought out to do honour to mrs trevenard's obsequies the four farmers and the doctor sat down to this feast with appetite sharpened by the autumn breezes and poor michael took his place at the head of the table and did his best to perform the duties of hospitality and the funeral guests enjoyed themselves not a little during the next hour or so though they studiously preserved the solemnity of their countenances and threw in a sigh now and then midway between fowl and ham or murmured some pious commonplace upon the brevity of life as they held their plates for a second slice of beef ah said the fattest and wealthiest of the farmers she was a respectable woman there's not her equal within twenty miles of seacombe and this was the praise for which mrs trevenard had toiled this was the highest honour she had ever desired thirteen fire that is closest kept burns most of all maurice did not leave borsalend for some days after the funeral he saw how martin clung to him in this dark hour when the sense of bereavement was still a new and strange pain to the young heart and anxious though he was to return to his library and justina he lingered loath to leave since departure might seem unkind when he told martin that he had literary work to do that young man being aware that his friend was some manner of author though not in the least suspecting him to be capable of poetry martin argued that it was just as easy to write at borsalend as in london easier indeed since there was so small a chance of interruption i've heard you say that the great beauty of your trade is that it requires no plant except a ream of paper and a bundle of pens said martin did i say that ah i forgot one important item the library of the british museum some millions of books more or less i may not want to refer to them very often perhaps but i like to have them at my elbow the book you're writing is something prodigiously learned then i conclude said martin not at all but it is nice to be able to verify a quotation but i'll tell you what i'll do with you martin i'll stop at borsal a week if you'll promise to go to london with me when i leave you told me that your poor mother's death would set you free so it will by and by but not just yet it would be unkind to leave father while his grief is fresh he's so completely down upon my word martin i'm afraid you're right answered maurice 
but remember you must come to me directly you feel at liberty to leave borsal come to me and share my home just as you would if i were your elder brother martin employed the day after the funeral in looking over his dead mother's hoards a painful task but not a difficult one bridget trevenard's possessions had been kept with the most perfect neatness every scrap of lace or ribbon folded and laid in its place all the old-fashioned trinkets of her girlhood treasured in their various boxes the desk and work-box of her school-days in perfect order strange that these trifles should be so much less perishable than their owner but despite his careful examination of his mother's drawers and boxes martin failed to find the object of his search that old family bible with the clasp which he had described to maurice the book was nowhere to be found martin distributed his mother's clothes the best to old mrs trevenard to do what she liked with the rest to the two handmaidens both tolerably faithful after their manner and honestly regretful of a mistress who though sharp and exacting had been just in her dealings with them and careful of their comfort the trinkets and work-box and desk and little collection of gift-books chiefly of a devotional character martin trevenard put away under lock and key in the old bureau opposite his mother's bed he kept them for muriel with the faint idea that some day the light of reason might return if only in some small measure to that clouded brain no one else has so good a right to them he said to himself as he put away these homely treasures and no one else shall have them while i live i suppose my dear mother must have given that bible away he said to maurice after describing his unsuccessful search and yet it was hardly like her to give away an old family bible she was the one who set so much store by old things and above all by her religious books at that moment there flashed across maurice's recollection one hitherto forgotten word in the dying woman's broken sentence gave family bible that word gave confirmed martin's idea the bible had been given away but to whom and why did it concern maurice in his endeavour to right the wrongs of the past to know that fact why indeed unless the bible had been given to mr and mrs eden the people who took muriel's infant he went over in his notebook the story which bridget trevenard had told him he had been careful to write down all the facts recording every detail as closely as possible a few hours after he received that story of the past from the invalid's lips going over it carefully in the silence of his own room on the second night after the funeral he came to this passage i made them take a solemn oath upon my bible binding them to perform their part of the bond it was clear then that mrs trevenard had carried her bible to the loft that the oath had been sworn upon her own bible was it not likely that on so solemn an occasion as her parting with these people who were to carry the last of her race the nameless child she discarded away with them she a woman of deep religious convictions might have given them her bible the most sacred gift she could bestow symbol of good faith between them now if this bible had been given and the name of martin's great-grandmother justina trevenard was written in it the fact would add one more link to that chain of evidence which maurice clissold had been putting together lately it had entered into his mind that justina elgood was muriel's daughter the child given into the keeping of strangers perhaps ah too bitter thought the child of shame the facts in support of this notion were not many would have made very little impression perhaps in a court of justice yet though he struggled against a notion which appeared to his sober reason absurd and groundless his fancy was taken captive and dwelt upon the idea with a tormenting persistence 
in the first place he was a poet and there seemed to him a curious fatality in all the circumstances connected with his presence at borsalend he had gone there by the merest accident guided by that will-o'-the-wisp of a child tramping miles across a barren moor intruding himself on an unwilling hostess then on the very first night of his habitation beneath that lonely roof he had been visited by one who if not a wanderer from the shadow world was at least a ghost of the past one who had outlived life's joys and hopes almost its cares and sorrows this appearance of muriel's had at once awakened his interest in her but for this midnight visit and the chance meeting in the hazel copse he might have come and gone a dozen times without being aware of muriel trevenard's existence this idea of destiny was of course a mere fanciful reason to-night in the silence having gone over every word of mrs trevenard's story in his notebook he placed on record those other circumstances which had impressed him in relation to this question one the fact that justina elgood was said to have been born at seacombe a curiously out-of-the-way corner of the earth two her age exactly corresponded with the age of muriel's daughter where she living three the particularly uncommon name of justina a family name of the trevenards four the description of the man who had called himself eden a fluent speaker a man who seemed accustomed to public speaking five matthew elgood had lost an infant daughter at seacombe the fact stood recorded in the register these edens had also lost a child very little certainly all this when set down formally upon paper but the idea floating in maurice's mind seemed to have a stronger foundation than these meagre facts whence the fancy came he knew not yet it seemed to him that for a long time he had been sceptical as to justina's relationship to matthew elgood there was so evident a superiority in the daughter to the supposed father they were creatures of a different clay it is just as if some clumsy delf pitcher were to pretend to be made of the same pace as justina's dragon china tea-service he said to himself he remembered how reticent mr elgood had always been upon the subject of the past how the little that he had even told had been told somewhat reluctantly extorted in a manner by maurice's questioning he remembered mr elgood's startled look when he maurice had spoken for the first time of borsalend i dare say after all the fancy is groundless he said to himself as he closed his pocket-book and that the circumstances which have impressed me so strongly could be explained in quite a different manner a provincial actor's wandering life may bring him to any corner of the earth and the name justina may have been chosen out of some novel of the day by mrs elgood but since i have promised to do my uttermost to see muriel trevenard righted i am bound to sift this matter thoroughly and again it would be hard if i were not allowed to investigate the pedigree of the woman i hope to win for my wife the worst or the best that i can learn of my darling's parentage will make no difference in my love for her true self for three or four days after the funeral maurice gave himself up almost entirely to friendship and spent his time strolling about the farm with martin philosophizing consoling talking hopefully of the future when the young man was to come to london and carve out some kind of career for himself but the last two days of his stay in cornwall mr clissold had a portion to his own business one day for a farewell visit to penwin manor another day for seacombe where he had certain inquiries and researches to make he had arranged to leave borsal the morning after his visit to the manor-house and to spend the following night at a hotel in seacombe this would give him the whole of the day and evening in that somewhat melancholy town 
he had written to mrs penwin gratefully acknowledging her kind invitation to make the manor-house his headquarters and explaining that his friendship for martin obliged him to decline her hospitality but in his heart of hearts there was another reason why he did not care to stay at penwin manor or increase his intimacy with churchill penwin justina had expressed her antipathy to that gentleman and maurice felt as if it were in some manner treasonable to cultivate the friendship of any man whom justina disliked that large madness love is a conglomeration of small follies courtesy however demanded that he should pay his respects to the penwin family before leaving cornwall and he had a lurking curiosity about that household a somewhat morbid interest perhaps with which justina's vague suspicions far as they were from any thought of his own may have had something to do that change in madge penwin hardly to be described yet to his eye very palpable had puzzled him not a little was it possible that the husband and wife so devoted to each other a little while ago had undergone some change of feeling that one or the other had looked back upon the sunlit path of love and perceived that the rose bloom was fading from life's garden no maurice could not for a moment believe in any lessening of madge penwin's love of her husband or churchill's devotion to her he had seen that little look across the crowd which the poet has sung of the look of utter trust and sympathy which passes between a husband and wife now and then in some busy hour of the day amidst some friendly circle a sudden interchange of thought or feeling stolen from the throng and in madge's case he had seen a look of devotion curiously pathetic love fraught with pity a look of deepest melancholy this dwelt in his memory and influenced his thoughts of churchill penwin and his wife there was some hitch some dissonant interval in the harmony of their lives yet what the jarring notes could be it was hard for the student of humanity to discover no life could seem outwardly more perfect churchill's position was of all positions most enviable just sufficient wealth for all the joys of life an estate large enough to give him importance in his neighbourhood without the weighty responsibility of a large landowner ambition gratified by his parliamentary success the fairest wife that man could desire to adorn his home and yet there were shadows on the face of husband and wife that denoted a secret trouble in this house which held all things the skeleton was not wanting can there be any ground for justina's suspicion maurice asked himself and is a clear conscience the one thing missing in churchill penwin's sum of happiness end of volume two chapters twelve and thirteen